Hey, what's up, church family? It's good to be together again, twice on a Sunday. Uh, we're gonna spend the evening together exploring the evidence for the resurrection. This morning, we gathered as a church globally to celebrate the resurrection. And tonight, we wanna explore why we just did that. You no, know, why in 2020 did the global church celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the Jewish rabbi who lived and died 2,000 years ago? Uh, if you're anything like me, you question, you have doubts, you want to look uh, beneath the surface. And uh, we have a faith where we're welcomed to do, to do that. We're encouraged to do that. We're invited to do that. And so whether you are watching this as someone who's believed and uh, had a faith for a long time, or whether you're spiritually curious, or whether you just have never really put much thought into this, perhaps you have, perhaps you have and you thought, I know why I don't believe this. Welcome. This is a really uh, special time of being together, and I think we're going to have a conversation tonight, which is going to be encouraging, and it's going to be challenging, and I hope at the end of it, we all feel more inspired to look a little deeper into the resurrection of Jesus. We don't just believe the resurrection is something that happened. We believe that the resurrection is something that is happening, that uh, the resurrection infuses meaning and purpose into the fibers of every minute of our day, and it, it instills within our hearts a hope that endures and perseveres. And so I, I hope that you're encouraged tonight. I'm going to be talking with my friend Jonathan Sherwin. Many of you know Jonathan. He's an incredible man, an incredible apologist, and we're going to get a little bit more into that, and I'll intro him in a second. I'm going to jump on this Zoom call, and you guys can watch and uh, bear witness to the conversation. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for uh, Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. I thank you, Lord, that this is a day that says death does not have the final word, that there is a hope that resides within us which perseveres and can be the encouragement to others in such trying times as these. And Lord, I thank you for the freedom and for the ability, for the technology to have a conversation like this and for it to go around the world. I just pray, God, that it would be uh, deeply stirring and encouraging time. I pray, God, that it would wake us up to, to the truths and to the realities of our existence. Lord, I pray that it would wake us up from being numbed, being dumbed down, to settling for anything less than a life that is full of purpose and a life that is full of hope and a life that is full of love, compassion, and kindness. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's begin. Well, um, Good evening to everybody watching. Uh, I'm aware that we're going to have people watching this from the life churches around the world, uh, as well as other people tuning in. So you might be watching this over your coffee uh, or over lunch uh, in the UK. This is coming live around 6:30 in the evening, and um, we're we're sharing in this conversation around the evidence of the resurrection after having had time together this morning celebrating the resurrection it's uh this is this is my favorite day in, in in the calendar and i'm sure it's the same for most of you it's a moment where we get to just lay down every other um idea issue conflict and come together as a united body across the world and celebrate the risenness of christ jesus and so we thought we would take some time um this evening to explore uh, the questions around the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We have gathered as a global church this morning, celebrating the resurrection of a Jewish rabbi 2000 years ago. And uh, for any onlookers, that is, that's strange. Let's be honest. Most of us have uh, been in the faith for a while, grown up in the faith perhaps, and have become very accustomed to and relaxed around the conversation about the resurrection. But if you haven't, it's a peculiar thing. And it, it really is quite, a, um, quite helpful to take a step back and look at and explore the history of the resurrection in our faith, why the church believes what we do, and how we can articulate the hope that we have uh, to those that are onlooking and those that are on a quest, those who are spiritually curious. And uh, so we're gonna be doing that tonight. And we have Jonathan showing with us, who is uh, a part of Life Church Bath and a friend of, of mine. I was thinking, Jonathan, I don't know if you remember this, but actually the first time that we shared a meal together was over um, Subway sandwiches in the Forum Coffee House. And it was, it was one of the first times we had spent time together. 
and I had, I had set up an event um, to explore the problem of evil and yeah. invited you to come down and share in it. So our, our, our friendship uh, or conversations began around that very tough question. That, that's, a, that's a pretty deep end way to start a friendship. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, you know, you've got uh, things in common uh, at a deep level uh, when you can dialogue back and forth about a question like the problem of evil. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. You're you're a man who has um who has really stood in those questions, stood in the gaps, stood in the places where um it is it's it's difficult to um to hold space. It's difficult to to hear the questions that our faith presents. And you are you're you're in a in a long line of what we call um, apologetics in our faith, the 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 reason defense for what we believe and why we believe it. Um, Jonathan, as some of you will know, studied at the oh, I always say this wrong the Oxford Center of Christian Apologetics. Yeah. Okay, right. Um, and I believe that that's that's Ravi Zacharias. Zacharias. Yeah. 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 So an incredible resource. I did a I did a four year degree in philosophy, and that's when I stumbled across apologetics. Because during those years, I realized I needed to know how the fathers and mothers in our faith and in our tradition had dealt with these questions. Uh, my my degree began with the professor standing up, quoting um, Nietzsche, saying, "God is dead. We know that. Enough about him." <laughs> Right. And um, and so we did four years of studying why we can make sense of our existence without a theistic worldview. And so I stumbled into reading um, the, apolo the apologists through a need, through a need of how do I articulate why I believe what I believe and what is the defense for what we believe in. So I, I just want to kick off with reading a scripture that has really, really helped me during, helped me during those years and helps me now and really connects to this, this uh, day of celebrating the resurrection. It's uh, 1 Peter 3, 14, 17. And uh, it says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. And um, we didn't know we would be in the situation the whole world is in come Easter this year, but here we are doing this conversation over Zoom in a, in a culture that is full of panic and fear and uncertainty. And so what, 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 a, what a moment to say we have hope and we actually have a reason for that hope. And so that's what we're going to spend the night talking about. Yeah, yeah. Why we have this hope of the resurrection and what that means to us. Yeah. I think that, that passage there is really interesting because um, <laughs> it presupposes that hope um, is not just an internal thing, but it affects uh, the external, you know, that we're people that are marked by hope. Yes. So, you know, if, if people are asking questions, be prepared to give a reason and answer for the hope that you have. Mm. And people must be able to see that hope on you, in wow. you, in the way that you live. And so the, I think the conversation that we're having about the historical evidence and um, the, the reasons why we believe it to be true, that, that leads people or at least that that peter was assuming that that was lead people to live in such a, a different way that that hope radiates out of them mm. um and i know um many people can struggle how do i present my how do i begin to get in a conversation about my faith to somebody that doesn't believe what's a good starting point um, and I, I'm someone that really does believe that there are many opportunities that we can use. There are many cultural touch points, authorities and culture um, that we can borrow. I mean, there's so many great stories of, of, of hope and beauty and goodness. You know, you just look at films and, and theater mm. and, and literature where you can start a conversation. But also there's a fact that we as Christians ought to be living in such a way and marked by a hope that people actually ask us and they start the, the conversation for us and say, Hey, wow. I see you're responding in this manner 
at yes. this time in this way. Can you tell me how you're doing that? And yeah. um, so apologetics is for me much more than um, just a, a mere academic pursuit. Um, it's, it's a connection between truth and, and reality. Uh, and wow. uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful subject. That's really interesting. A connection between truth and reality. My, my uncle, uh, Uncle Mike, who many of you know, said to me this week, he said, you know, if, if the resurrection is true, then we have nothing to worry about. <laughs> you know, if it really is true that Jesus rose from the dead, we have nothing to worry about. And I, I kind of want to start there um, because the Gospels present to us this narrative of Christ demonstrating who he is. Um, but right from the beginning, I'm kind of thinking about the, the gospel of John, where Jesus right at the start says he, he creates this incredible metaphor about the temple. And he says, you know, you, you, you built this temple and this, this temple represents your faith and the way you interact with God. Well, I'm going to tear the temple down and in three days rebuild it. And right at the beginning of his ministry, he, he's, he's communicating what's going to happen and how it will be the evidence of everything that's gone before it. So, so the gospels are filled with Jesus saying, this is who I am. But if you don't believe now, I'm going to give you a reason to, you know? And I, I think even it, later on in the gospel of John, the resurrection of um, Lazarus and, and Jesus approaching the, the, the grave says, I'm glad that Lazarus died, that, that he wasn't just very sick so that you could see I am the resurrection and the life. And so just to just to quote uncle mike yeah if if it did happen then everything that happened before and everything that jesus said before about what it means to be human about the nature of our existence about who god is well then that's true as well yeah. and and so just before we get in i just want to say just three things one jesus reveals what it means to be human he reveals the true essence of our humanity transcendent of our fragility and our brokenness and our pain and our shame. He reveals a humanity which is defined by its compassion and kindness and interconnectivity with all that's around us. He defines um, who God is. He is the image of the invisible God. He defines that we actually don't live in a cold and indifferent universe, but in a, in a, in a space which is defined by benevolence and love and kindness. And he, uh, he, he defines that death is at the end, mm. right? He defines yeah. that, that there, is, there is life eternal and many other things. But I say all that to say, if the resurrection is true, then so, 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 so are those three, three factors. Yeah. And um, I, your point about if it's true, then what else he said is true. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, uh, friends... Um, friends of mine we were chatting in our life group actually um about about easter as a holiday um and and in in countries with christian heritage you get two major christian holidays you get christmas and you get easter um and we were looking at the differences and that christmas well more or less it's still okay to have nativity scenes and to, 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 to sing carols and there is um still a, a lingering spirituality about the holiday but yeah. easter no 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 easter right. we will we, we we don't like talking about a bloody corpse and mm. um, we don't want to talk about resurrection life from the dead we will substitute in you know um easter bunny and yep. and, and lots of other things and, and we'll even change the name and we were talking about this in, in america you know easter holiday spring break and it's like well let's get easter out because easter is so offensive right. and it forces you to if it is true to accept jesus wow and and, and, and people's hearts don't necessarily want that right on, on first take and christmas Jesus make him mild and he's come as a baby and there's some good teachings and we'll take some of what he said. We will reject other things. He could just be another good teacher in the pantheon of, 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 um, of, of world leaders that have 
come and, and, and shared great insight. But Easter, that's totally different. Mm. Um, because if Jesus died and then was brought back to life, well, so it's just a different ballgame. Yes. And uh, it requires much, much more of us. Yeah. And so there's something about the scandal of the cross, the offensiveness mm. of the cross. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's more than just the credibility of the Christian story hangs on Easter. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. like everything hangs on Easter. Yes. The very yeah. nature of all things. Okay, this is good. So, so we're going to be exploring uh, the pages of this book, of this library of 66 books, and much of which um, you're going to be speaking from, quoting of, referencing to, will be found in, in, in the Gospels of the New Testament. And so um, I would love to begin there, you know, as I've asked this question um, many times, why trust the scriptures? You know, why trust these ancient pages recorded by, you know, ancient men uh, that we have no tangible connection to it now, 2000 years ago plus, um, where do you begin by mm. with, well, articulating why the scriptures are reliable to even begin this conversation? Yeah, it's a great question um, and needs to be addressed, really. Um, the, the evidence for um, the resurrection in particular comes predominantly from four Gospels, um, which are part of the, the kind of part of the uh, of of Scripture uh, as the Christian faith would hold it. And so the question needs to be asked, well, how do we trust these these sources? I mean, they're 2000 years old and you can immediately perhaps think of many objections. Well, how do we know that what we're reading now um, and you and I we're reading in English translations um, of original languages? Um, how do we know that that's not uh, different to what was written? Um, you just need to, uh, in a life group or small group, uh, ask somebody to, to quote a, uh, uh, a piece of scripture. And the next question is, uh, what translation is that coming from? <laughs> it's clearly not what's in front of you. And there are different, different paraphrases and translations. Well, how do we know that um, there's been a faithful transmission of the text over centuries. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, how do we know even what was written at the time was credible and wasn't just made up, wasn't the, the, the fabrication, the beginning of a grand um, myth, a grand um, uh, scheme, maybe politically yeah. um, motivated, I don't know, to to start a movement. Yeah. Um, the... It's probably beyond the scope of this uh, this chat alone, but there are some very good things to point out. The reason I think, firstly, that we can take that what we have in front of us now is faithful to what we believe was written was um, what well, is to do with the fact that we've just done so much testing. Um, the Bible, because um, it is so important um, and because um, the faith really... Uh, permits for and encourages inquiry it doesn't say hey don't question this it says take a look um explore the evidence not just of the faith but of the actual um credibility of the transmission of the text and people have done that so people have gathered all the shreds and and clippings and and um small portions of manuscripts over the years and and looked to say what did it look like when we had a copy 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago? Can we go back even further? And yeah, we can. We can go back and back. And whilst we don't have the original copies of these works of history, and that's true of every piece of antiquity, really, mm -hmm. um, we get incredibly close. We get within, you know decades maybe a century of when these things were being written and we can see that the copies that we've had a long time ago are similar so mm. people in 400 500 ad weren't going oh i'll just add this little bit right they didn't because we looked at earlier and there wasn't any addition and and later on you know there wasn't a sort of renaissance rewriting mm. right. <laughs> um, yeah. just to improve the story to hang on a minute you know people now and in 1400 well we don't believe what we did we're gonna to have to tweak and update it we're seeing actually uh, a large amount of care in how these documents were transmitted um and, and much testing has shown that there's incredibly high um correlation between the documents and there are some small differences they should be pointed out but most of them are sort of stylistic or, or to do with grammar and don't really change key, yeah. key points and so 
we know um, or we believe scholars believe that the the copies that we have today that we're reading from in the original language in new testament greek are what was written right um nearly 2000 years ago 1900 yeah. years ago okay um and yeah. so when um when we kind of look at other literature from antiquity from a similar period of time what you're saying is actually the scriptures, um, talking specifically today about the New Testament scriptures, um, they stand up in the same context that any other ancient documents that we adhere to or reference when exploring ancient history would. Absolutely. And then some, right. you know, um, the, we can look at um, other writings from history. You can look at, you know, Caesar's Gallic Wars. And I think there's nearly a thousand years between when that was supposed to have been written and the first copy that we've got. Whereas, and that's the first copy. Uh, and then we're talking a handful of manuscripts. And so people like, you know, we've, we've got uh, Greek writers that we will quote in philosophy lectures that mm. we say, well, they said this. Mm. We don't get anywhere near close to the time when they were actually writing. And yet we still hold it to be authoritative. The Bible has a vast number um, a vast collection. The, the, the spread of the number of fragments of manuscripts uh, is, is, is very large um, compared to other right. works from history. And so if we were to throw out the Bible, um, we would have to at the same time throw out the rest of any document from history. Interesting. So if we're going to talk about anything from 2000 years ago, uh, the scriptures are, are a really good place to start. It, you know, if we're going to use anything as a reference point of what happened, then we've got, we've got a really good place to start here. Yeah, we do. We've got the best start, really, out of the, the documents from history. Now, that doesn't necessarily tell us that what the authors were writing was true. Yep. It just tells us that the copies of what we've got are accurate to what was written. Yep. So it's a separate question. But yeah, it's, it's an incredible place to start. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, in, in 10 years of... of um, reading philosophy, dipping in and out uh, with more kind of intensity at different times. I've never once heard the life of Socrates being called into question, um, though Socrates never wrote one word down, you know, um, and much like Christ, like, you know, we don't have, we, we don't have a letter that Jesus wrote, his, his words and parables and teaching is recorded by others, as was Socrates. And I, I, I remember finding that out and thinking, wow, like, I've sat in more lectures than I can count about ancient Greek philosophy and never once has anyone put a hand up and said, how do we know Socrates actually existed? So that's a really interesting framework to begin the conversation. Um, let, me, let me begin by diving into the scriptures. Is that all right? Yeah, please. I, I want to read just a very short passage from Luke. This is uh, Luke 24 um, and is, yeah, one verse. It just says this, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. So, this story of his resurrection begins with an empty tomb, you know, a, a little world, world, whirlwind context. You know, when you start a new Netflix series and you have the recap, the recap is Jesus has lived, he's died, he's been crucified, his body has been taken down from the cross and buried in the tomb um, owned by a rich man uh, in, in effectively in this garden. And then we, we, we come to this point of the story where the, the body is not found. So my first question is, okay, how do we know the, t the tomb is empty? And without that, this conversation doesn't go anywhere. So what evidence, what argument, uh, what response is there to the fact that the tomb was actually empty? Yeah. <clears throat> Great question. Um, if the tomb wasn't empty, there would be some evidence, right? Right. So let's think about this. For the Christian story to hang together, Christ must have died, must have been buried in that tomb, and then must have resurrected, mm. been resurrected. If you don't have the resurrected Christ, you don't have the Christian story. Now, what happens after the resurrection? Um, we have the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, and then we have Jesus ascending um, to heaven, and then we have the disciples waiting together before Pentecost, then we have Pentecost, and then boom, 3,000 were added. And then it just goes crazy, and all of a sudden, this uh, small, near-defeated um, 
sect of Jewish um, uh, followers of this, this rabbi go global for the time, or the beginnings of. So the question has to be at that point, well, okay, um, was that cool with people? And the, 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 the straightaway answer is no. <laughs> First of all, you've got Jewish leaders who um, were uh, responsible for the death of Jesus, for the crucifixion. Um, and there existed at the time this, this, um, this kind of quasi-relationship between the Roman authorities who were in command. But they had allowed a certain amount of freedom to the Jewish people to do that as long as it didn't cause trouble. Mm. Well, now you have the theological impurity of this Christian sect. Well, hang on a minute, claiming to be God. I mean, that's you. You, you were saying um, at the beginning about Jesus saying um, the temple will be destroyed in three days, built back up. That's what got Jesus in trouble. That's what. That's what the evidence was enough for the Jewish leaders to say we must have him mm. executed. Um, so you've got Jewish leaders after the theological purity of the faith going, we don't want this. This is a competing belief that has no place here. And then secondly, you've got, we don't want this growing because now we have a disturbance in the house. Yeah. And hey, if we're not careful, it's like kids fighting upstairs, you know, it's like it gets to a point where the kids keep fighting, but they take the level down just a little bit because <laughs> if mom and dad here, we're in trouble. And if the Romans found out and it's like, look, there's this growing movement that could, you know, political unrest and 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 uh, it sounds quite revolutionary and you know that's not good we need an end that so you had two major groups two very powerful groups of people uh the jewish leaders and the roman authorities who had every reason for christ being dead right so if, if christ had not risen then well the body would still be be there mm -hmm. assuming that he still died and that he was buried it would follow if he has not risen there would be a body mm -hmm. so the question has well where, where did the body go if the body's not there if the body was there show it ta-da reveal end of story everybody can come see the the, the dead leader and you know movement squashed mm. if the body's not there well then okay so maybe he's not resurrected but maybe it's been stolen and then you have to begin to ask questions like well who stole it? What was their motivation? Um, and you begin to have to qualify that answer with more qualifications. And it goes on. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, um, other people might say, well, the disciples, they clearly had invested a lot. They'd given up maybe jobs for three years. Maybe they were broke. Maybe they're like, look, the show must go on. We will steal the body and we will pretend that he's resurrected and we'll keep up this, you know, charade. Mm. And then you have to imagine that these disciples getting together, um, breaking into this sealed tomb, overcoming, you know, a guard posted outside. Um, it begins to get a bit fabulous. It's like, well, hang on a minute. That, that's, that's quite a story. Um, and then these disciples, knowing this lie, had to continue this for the rest of their lives. Um, and so the story goes on and on and all of a sudden what appears to be uh, an obvious objection um, comes under scrutiny you, and you realize the amount of work that has to go into making this work it's just it's not a simple answer right. and, and it gets harder and harder to believe in the alternatives um, that's interesting so, I, I, it's really it's really interesting the way you put it because talking about this now where the christian church is i don't know Two billion. I'm not, I'm not sure what. How, right. You know, it's huge. The amount of people that would confess a Christian faith, and there, and we have no reference for the Roman Empire, you know, or what it would be to live under a kind of orthodox Jewish culture. It's hard for us to really contextualize how, to what disadvantage the the small gathering of Christ followers would have been, and how weak they were in context to the opposing forces. So now, where you, where you kind of think about it, it's, you, you really have to take your mind out of the power that is associated with the Christian faith now. This really was a ragamuffin gathering of fishermen, a um, couple accountants, you know, like it just, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a formalized, structured, institutionalized faith. So it's, it's just interesting the way you put that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
the 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 alternatives um, to the resurrection narrative end up just taking a much broader stretch of imagination mm. um, and much greater license in order to, to make it fit together. Can you, can you speak uh, at all to the, um, to the historical kind of specifics of, of the burial? Um, do we know, you talked about a tomb and a Roman guard, you know, those things that, that, that we know, where do you get that from? So scripture, it's interesting, scripture will have um, a slightly different account of what's going on over the Easter uh, weekend, but we know some things from scripture from the, the four gospels, particularly uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, the scriptures will talk about the, um, the, the burial method. We also know a little bit from history about what was going on. We know that the tomb uh, was, was known, for example, from scripture. Um, we understand some of the customs from the day about what was going on. Um, and then we turn really to the rest of to the, to the biblical narrative um, as for, for, for things like the guard. Um, we also then can supplement what the, the gospels say about the events with our further knowledge of what was going on um, from, from Roman history. Um, we know, for example, a lot about crucifixion, not necessarily from the Bible, but because it was a common torture method used throughout the Roman Empire. Um, we know that the Romans were very good at it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we can weave in this other understanding alongside the narrative. Um, and so when we, when we say things like, well, we know that the, a guard was posted we um and then we compare it to the disciples we kind of we, we have to think a little bit okay what would it have been like so now you're down from 12 disciples to 11 mm -hmm. judas is, is out of the picture we have um the bible recording just before peter denying peter the strongest the leader i will never deny you and jesus saying yeah you all will <laughs> yeah. um, and then it happening and you know and, and the the cock crowing and peter see if you on if you, the day before the crucifixion of christ imagine that you've now got the closest followers the 11 um disbanded you know denying they i mean the the, the story of peter saying things like to um to, to there are a couple of servant girls that were being mentioned when they come up to him and say, Hey, you were with that guy, mm. you know? And I love how scripture, it's very interesting. We can maybe talk about this a little bit later on, but I love that it's, it's a woman asking Peter at this point, right. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe look at why women finding Jesus yeah. Yeah. on the Easter, but here you have servant girl. And so you've got this fisherman guy, this chief leader. So, Perhaps the image varies. What what he wasn't being presented by a centurion flanked with soldiers at yeah. spear point saying, Oi, weren't you with Jesus? You have a servant girl, singular, coming up to him within earshot probably of what's going on. But you, that's not a, a strong threat to a big, you know, we can imagine Peter maybe as this slightly yeah. burly fisherman. Um so he wasn't under threat from from force at that point, but he was already recanting. Mm. And so now we have the story of, okay, so then you add that in, you add the psychological profile of that kind of person and then say, now they're overcoming armed soldiers who've been given orders. Right. <laughs> and we know something yeah. about, we know something about the authority that the, the, the Roman military had and the system mm. there. And so we go, it just doesn't get that plausible. Very, very interesting. I've, I've actually never heard someone reference that account of Peter's denial. That's very interesting because from that point, all that he's bearing witness to is the crucifixion. There's not really any other accounts of um, interaction, you know, in, in, in a positive sense. It just goes from bad to worse at that point, doesn't it? <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Okay. So, all right, that's good. The empty tomb. Okay. So, so now I'm thinking... Um, all right, so it isn't really plausible that they that the disciples snuck past the guards, rolled away a stone, took the body, you know, built built this whole faith around a around a lie. Um, but we do still go through going through the gospels again. We do still lie. Uh, we do still put a lot of weight on their accounts, on what we'd call the eyewitness accounts, um, the, yeah. the, the 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 accounts of what happened after that, because. 
obviously post the tomb being empty, we be, you just referenced it, um, but we, we begin having these witnesses of the resurrected Christ beginning in the garden. Um, and again, like that is, that is a huge part of what we base the testimony on is the people that saw Christ you know, the resurrected Christ. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Why do we believe them? Um, okay, we, it, we, can't, we can't deny the empty tomb, but it's a step further saying that you saw him, you know? Why would we trust that? Well, and this is when the story begins to really get um, just out of this world, <laughs> uh, literally, because um, what we would hold is that the simplest explanation to the Easter um the the easter facts is a supernatural explanation um and if if you're open-minded and go okay i'm going to be open-minded about the possibility of the supernatural uh and then look at the evidence then then it's not hard to come to the conclusion after considering the evidence that in fact a supernatural explanation that is a miraculous resurrection of a dead body to life is the uh is the the best explanation of these facts Mm. um but on the face of it if we kind of just nail down into just those resurrection appearances it is really interesting alone if we isolate that fact for a second even isolated i think it holds up quite well um you've got um people saying um that that christ was resurrected uh, and claiming it for a start so quite aside from the easter morning later on you've got the appearance of jesus to others uh you've got paul saying you know he appeared to the disciples uh, and then last of all he appeared to me um later on talking about paul's own conversion um and he and he would speak about what the early church actually believed hey look this is something that we hold to be true that we, we saw this now and in, in kind of in line with the whole stolen body, if somebody is going to fabricate something like that, now, aside from the fact that it had been prophesied by Jesus, so that you read through the Gospels and it, you can't really see people really catching on. To what, <laughs> it's like you look back and we look back and go, well, it's kind of clear this yeah. Jesus spoke about it. Um, but um, it's still, it, it's an astonishing claim and it would have been an astonishing claim. That then sits alongside the, the the empty tomb as this is what the new the new church proclaimed mm. um this is what the 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 kind of the, the heart of the christian early christian teaching held to be true mm. now uh, it might be said well how do we not know that perhaps later on resurrection myth was invented in order to to supplement this um and i mean it sounds like a great idea if you, if you come up with a plan and say well look something supernatural happened to happen two thousand years ago the evidence is kind of sketchy but um let's say it happened and therefore because of that then this okay so if we invented it hundreds of years later but what we read in scripture is that even before the gospels were written you know this was something that was being held to be true by believers um mm. we kind of reference a little bit um and i'll just bring up uh first corinthians 15 let me get this right uh put that into the bible um mm. paul is referencing something here to to christians and many scholars believe that this passage is in fact uh, an early sort of creed that is being said amongst believers at the time now this is written 20 30 years perhaps before gospels i mean this is early church this is before gospel writers were writing this is paul saying hey this is what is held to be true Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, uh, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. Then he appeared more than to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, as mm-hmm. in, go check, <laughs> right. um, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And we think that this is uh, an early creed that the church is saying. So we um, have reason to believe that the the church, um, the doctrine of the church, right from the get-go was he, he was raised and people saw him. And they built that into their story. Now, 
again, along with the empty tomb, if we question, okay, well, maybe they made it up, mm-hmm. um, then we have to then ask, not only was it a few guards that were overcome at the, um, at the tomb, but now you've got the Christian church entering into a period of, of horrific persecution, right. state oppression uh, by Roman authorities, uh, and, and many people paying for their beliefs with their lives. And the question has to be asked, if these people were sort of induced to believe a lie, what was it that caused that? No, what what was their gain? What what do they stand? To, to, was it was it fine for the financial? Was there some was there some pot somewhere that someone said, "Hey, look, if you believe this, I'll you'll, I'll take care of your family. You'll have all the riches, and or your your health will be protected." There wasn't. It's really hard to figure out what would cause all of these people to claim this thing, and then on the basis of this claim, be willing to lay down their lives. Mm. We take the disciples alone. We believe 10 out of the 11 who were left after um, Judas left were martyred, were executed, uh, killed, murdered for their faith. You know, and it's like, well, hang on a minute. All it would take would just be one of these people, right? To go, ah, you know what? Now at the threat of my life, I'm going to give in. But we don't have evidence of that. We have people believing this story, propagating this story and paying with their lives. And it was the... um, the French uh, mathematician Blaise Pascal who said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. Mm. You know, there's something so powerful about somebody that says, I am believing this until the grave. And it, mm. and it requires us to ask, well, why would so many people believe such a wild story if it were, and, and live it and propagate it if it were untrue? Um, and then we have to, again, qualify all those potential answers. Yes, no, uh, yeah, well put. Um, what about, we've talked about this actually before we, we, we've, we've spent time talking about grief and, um, just personally, you know, and explored the, the weight and the, the severity of that, that kind of acute experience. And these are, these are people that have given their lives to follow this teacher, this rabbi, and then they've witnessed this brutal execution. So an argument that, that could be presented is they thought they saw him. You know, they, they, they were hallucinating. They, under the weight and trauma of their, their, this emotional experience, they convinced themselves that they saw him. And I, how would you respond to that? You know, like you've got all these different accounts, but actually there was, they all, they all went through something horrific. And it, perhaps, they, perhaps it was PTSD, perhaps it was just a way of them comforting themselves? Well, I think absolutely no doubt if um, we were try to, to try to imagine ourselves what it might have been like to be one of Jesus' disciples um, and to have lived through that time and witnessing what we witnessed and um, a, a flogging of, of Jesus, um, you know, before he, before he died, when one of the, one of the questions, well, how do we know Jesus even died? And um, I mean, the whipping alone to within an inch of, of his life um, and, and not, this isn't like a, you know, a whack with a cane. This isn't a sort of whipping with a ruler. This is, this is, um, this is leather with bone in the end, ripping flesh. Um, and, 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 it, you know, one Roman historian will say, you basically see the entrails of human. It, it, it just ripped out your muscle. Can you imagine watching a friend go through that? Like, I mean, publicly hanging on a cross and then, and then, uh, yeah. I think there would be a lot of trauma, psychological trauma. And I'm, I, that's nowhere near my area of speciality at all. But just as a casual observer, you know, if I was to imagine trying to see a, a friend, a follower, a loved leader, someone I've been really close with for three years, go through that. So the question's valid. How do we not know that perhaps, um, you know, like that man in the desert who is just hungry, uh, thirsty for a cup of water and sees this mirage it's not true but needs it to be true in order to help get them through um and i there are tales aren't there of um of people who fabricate reality in order just to cope Mm -hmm. 
the, the trouble I think with the, the account of Jesus is that the same thing seems to happen to so many people. Um, mm. And everybody's individual. Um, you know, it's, uh, we're recording this right now with what's going on in the world with coronavirus, people are feeling more stress, more anxiety. Yeah. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't see somebody offering a helpful tip on this is what you need to do. Some yeah. people need to exercise. Some people need to meditate. Some people need to set rhythm. Some people need to call loved ones. Some people need to go and get in the garden. Um, everybody has a different coping mechanism. Right. We're all different. To say that all the disciples and then the other hundreds of people that claim to see, see a resurrected Jesus could hold on to the same narrative purely out of a, um, uh, position of comfort w- would suggest that, you know, that they all dealt with it in the same way. And it's not been my experience that humans deal with tragedy in the same way. You know, when, when we go through grief, different people are grieving in different ways at different times. It's very often never uh, in unison, which can be intensely frustrating. Um, but, uh, to suggest that the emotional response was uniform takes, I think a further leap of faith to suggest that, well, we just don't see that in human behavior. And, you know, we can talk about, well, it could just be some hallucination and we know that hallucinations happen, but so far as we know from history, we haven't um, recorded a mass hallucination with everybody hallucinating the same thing. This isn't like the movie Inception where everybody's in one, right. um, one dream, which is being designed by an architect. This is individuals responding individually. And so mm-hmm. to say collectively that they all had a single experience, mm-hmm. I find that quite hard to, to, to hold to really. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I love how you communicate it, Jonathan, because it's, you're, you're very, um, you're very like forgiving of the vulnerabilities that this story includes. And for any of us that have dug kind of beneath the surface of the scriptures, we realize this is a book filled with vulnerabilities. You know, we have, we don't believe that this is 66 books written by the hand of God. We believe that there it's made up, it's a library of history, the chronicles, we've got, we've got poems, we've got prophecy, we've got letters penned by men. And there is a vulnerability to this. And at the same time, um, in the way you articulate just to articulate it just then, to 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 believe that there is a another response to what to what has been written here requires a real stretch of logic you know a sort of a monolithic uh hallucinate hallucinating is that's really difficult to come up with you know um all right okay so we we've talked about um we've talked about the reliability of scripture the empty tomb um the resurrection appearances i've got i've got one more thing i want to i want to throw you away and then really hand it over to you if there's anything else you want to explore um and then we'll wrap up just with the question of what does this mean for us today? You know, if this is true, what does it mean? Kind of circling back. But um, the last thing that, you know, that, that I've definitely questioned and have, has been asked to me in the past is, well, around the time of the birth of Christianity, as you talked about this explosion of faith traveling around the world, there, there's other mystical kind of pagan influences. There, there's stories, similar stories of a savior's, you know, death and kind of bodily resurrection in different kind of contexts. Could it have been that the disciples actually just adopted these kind of ulterior sort of alt narratives in their own to, to, to ride on the back of other kind of mystical traditions and see the explosion of the faith that we have today. Right. So is it, could it not be that the resurrection is actually just the inclusivity of cultural narratives, pagan mystical um, beliefs of the time? Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a good question. Um, you often, uh, if you, you read a, a novel or, and you think, Oh, that reminds me of, of another novel. And so that, there's a literary mechanism that's been borrowed from some other work, um, re-engineered perhaps. Um, and yeah, there, there are different stories from the ancient world, some of which aren't, um, a million miles away from, from the Christian, from the Christian story. Um, so if we were to say though that the the framework or the the story or 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 some element of the narrative had been borrowed, 
then as soon as we start to say that, we run into similar objections to, to what we've just dealt um, with. Mm. Uh, firstly, um, the, the style of the um, three synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the style of those and, um, was very much, and, and John to an ex- extent, but John um, had a different angle on, on some things and a different perhaps um, reason for writing. But the gospels appear to f- be within a, a category of literature from that time. Um, it looks like Greco-Roman biography. It looks like mm. that what you would expect when people are trying to write about something that actually happened. And whilst yes, um, the the style of that kind of manner of writing isn't the same as as, as history from today, um, where we have perhaps such a higher regard for precision of certain things as you know, uh, the Roman history and biography and, and Greek too would be. What's the moral of the story? Um, what are the points? I'm going to kind of emphasize this. I'm going to use a sort of um, uh, some devices in order to help you to realize what I, as the author, think is important from this story. Um, saying that, though, uh, if you put what was written in context with other writings from the time, it's still, um, it still doesn't look so very loose. It, it still has a, a high regard for facts, for names. Yes places yes uh, all things that could have been checked yeah um yeah so we, we we from that we believe that at the time that the gospel writers weren't intending to write fiction they weren't intending to write a story they were intending right. to write history now they might have been writing false history in order to um uh c- to communicate something but they weren't um writing a, a made-up story um c.s lewis i don't remember the quote to, to, um, off the top of my head, but he basically chimed in on this and said, Hey, by the way, my profession, um, is I, I'm, <laughs> I know a thing or two about stories. Uh, you know, he was a, an English professor, um, with a humanities, a classics background. He understood story and, um, he said, there's, there's nothing like the gospels, particularly from that time. Um, and he said that the, the, the modern realistic narrative that we assume today, when we read books, I mean, but I, I grew up and I love Tom Clancy. I remember going on a, a holiday, um, uh, like Euro camp or something. And, and we were, I was brought out my mind as a kid, but I found these books to read and Tom Clancy and I love the details and he would make up these epic battles between yeah. Americans and Soviets or what have you, but it was all the details and it was, and it, and, and the credibility that that lent meant that you can kind of really get into it. And so that escapist reality and alternative reality. And that's what we love about TV so much today, isn't it? It's like, I can imagine this being true. And so I'm escaping into this other created alternate reality, but that's not how stories were told. That's not how, um, uh, that, that, that was, back then history was written like that but if you read greek mythology it doesn't read yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't read like the gospels and so we know that the gospel writers were not intending just to make up a story so then the question becomes were they just fabricating history and then as soon as you get into that question then you have to ask what was there to gain yeah. what about the eyewitnesses i mean they're naming people who were there yeah. you know go check with mary magdalene who who you know hey it's not just any ordinary we'll, we'll tell you who it is mm-hmm. um Go ask this person, go reference this. Um, this is the tomb that Jesus w- was buried in and yeah. so on. Um, and so it looks like the authors were intending to write history. It looks like they were um, subjecting themselves, opening themselves up to investigation. You know, they weren't hiding facts. In fact, they were going out of the way to add facts mm. um, so that it could be fact checked even at yep. the time. Bearing in mind that these writers weren't anticipating you and I and others around the world 2000 years later. Yep pouring over these things in, yeah. in minute detail, but still they went out of the way. And so um, there are other stories from history that sound similar. Yes. Um, and if we were to do them to them out of courtesy, what we're doing to the gospel narrative, you know, asking, how do we know that to be true? Mm-hmm. Who wrote that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, 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 the age of the closest manuscript that we've got? And then all of a sudden they come into question as well. And so I like to look at it from that angle rather than just, because it could just be, yeah, it looks similar. It sounds similar. But as soon as you begin to investigate it, like the other objections, it just gets harder and harder to go, well, that's what was going on here. The fact that they're similar, 
well, there's many yeah. similarities between many yeah. things. That correlation doesn't prove anything necessarily. It just warrants further investigation. Uh, but I think that what we've done, just even on this time, suggests that it's hard to, it's far-fetched to, to think that the disciples were just borrowing another story at the time. Yeah, no, that's so, so well put. I, I love what you said at the beginning of this, which was Easter is just confrontational. Easter confronts us with the very nature of being, of what life is about. And um, you talked about C.S. Lewis and thinking about someone like C.S. Lewis, you know, a, a scholar of ancient literature. And he famously said, you know, I, I read the Bible until I realized the Bible was reading me. I, I read the Bible because I'd read everything else. Like I might as well read the Bible. And um, then found within its pages this, this, this kind of um, exploration of, of what it actually means to be human and what it means to engage with the divine. And um, I, I think what I hope that this conversation does is it encourages people to explore because it's very easy to dismiss something you haven't spent time with, right? It's right. very easy to dismiss something that you haven't engaged with. My, my hope is that people just choose to engage with what you've shared today. If we deny the resurrection, then we have to throw out literature and um, of, of the ancient world that at the moment we wouldn't even consider um, seeing any kind of fallacy. And, you know, we're just, but we would have to begin really revoking the way that we've put together ancient history um we we if we if we deny the resurrection we've got to come up with a body <laughs> do you know what i mean that like we've got to come up with an evidence for why there wasn't a body um we have to have a reasonable explanation of why of what these eyewitnesses had to gain of what this ragamuffin group of people of this early alt jewish sect had to gain in in, in, in dying the deaths they died. And yeah, and, and we, we have to come up with a reason why two billion people today profess the faith, you know, and, and, and how that movement has grown. And, you know, something I think about is we, we, are, we are fairly reasonable thinkers, you know. There's a lot that, that would come across our path. We would question if we didn't think that it had some incredible, you know, positive impact upon our life and some evidence behind why it's worth believing. And yet our faith is made up of just all people with that mindset. You know, it's, we don't just believe stuff because it sounds good, you know, and yet we do believe that 2000 years ago, this Jewish rabbi rose from, from the dead. And so I wonder in closing, if we could just talk about that and, 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 and hopefully encourage people what it means in 2020 in the midst of the virus that we're going through right now, what does the resurrection mean to you, bro? Like, how does it change your Tuesday afternoon? How does this evidence that you so well articulate have a real tangible impact upon your life today? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I mean, just thinking over the Easter weekend, um, I'm reading scripture together across the weekend um about about it and, and reminding and okay it happened there's a basis for my faith um and then what does it mean that okay now we have an understanding of the evidence of the supernatural and the resurrection and then we have promises of the resurrection power he you know that raised christ from the dead you know that power um was um poured out through the holy spirit at pentecost um, it's a power that's been at work in the world in, in that way, in this era, as it were. Um, and, and I believe it's still at work today in and through people. Um, and I think, uh, one area that I take comfort in is that his power, um, is at work, not just in the beautiful, although it's what makes things beautiful. I mean, I believe that God is creator of the world and, and Jesus being there at creation, you know, author of majesty and beauty that we look around us, you know, the, the heavens declare. Um, yeah, and, and we look at the mountains, we look on a sunset and we see the evidence of the grand and the beautiful. And, um, but that the resurrection story also is powerful to those who don't look or feel so grand and beautiful. And there are moments wow. when I feel successful and then there are many other moments where I feel like, 
<laughs> I'm just faking it. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and there are moments where I feel like I've got it together and, and in control. And then there are moments I feel, you know, I'm just hanging on to loose threads. And sometimes I can feel a bit like a loose thread. Um, there's something about the resurrection story about this, you know, this treasure that's in jars of clay mm. that actually means that my vulnerabilities, my, my mistakes, my brokenness and my scars actually serve as windows of that resurrection power. Um, and so it's, it's those threads. Mm. Um, w- one thing we didn't really touch on, but um, is, is so fascinating is that the, the gospel authors hung the resurrection narrative on the crucial bit. They hung on the testimony of women. Now, that's great, but that wasn't a great idea if you were wanting to really convince people. You right. know, the testimony of women 2,000, 1,900 years, not, not, it didn't hold up in a court of law at the time. It wasn't, if you were to manufacture a strong case, you wouldn't have women probably as your as the witness mm. but but jesus honored you know all the way through the gospel jesus honored the marginalized mm. he, he he honored those who were um not valued for cultural reasons at the time mm. uh, i believe he did more than any other person to affirm the equality of humanity mm. um Amen. And, and not just uh, with gender but also between the rich and the poor um the the the, the, the smart and the, and the challenged in that way um the different sex and today we, we we love to break down into um do you have the right qualifications are you right. And we still do it today, even in our enlightened society. And what that does is it makes people feel, unless I am this, I am not worthy. But the gospel, the resurrection power, even the way it was told, just affirms that all of humanity is worthy. Um, And it's not based upon my um, comprehension of my worthiness. You know, there are days when I feel blue and there are days when I feel exhausted. um, And there are days when I don't have uh my own hope and it's actually those moments that the resurrection speaks to me because it is other it's supernatural i don't conjure it up from within i don't have to just find a way to purchase my own salvation but that externally the resurrection says that power entered this created universe wow brought this man to life and in the same way brings me to life Mm. um and I, I think for many right now around the world, my, my hope is that <laughs> this is this great undoing, isn't there? Mm, there's, a, yeah. there's this great undoing of, of hope. And it, 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 we, we still don't yet know what will happen, but um, many things are severely challenged. Um, business, government, uh, media, the arts, um, our entertainment, things that we take for granted, we're now looking at in a different way in the suspension or the change of these services. And perhaps what we've looked to within this world for our hope, we see, oh, maybe a bit more fallible than we thought. There'd been a stability for a long period of time and maybe it's not as stable as we thought. I hope that there's an opportunity to go, okay, so where does my real hope come from? Um, is it within you know, a perfect created society and me being amazing? Or is it in this resurrection story that says even the most unloved are loved uh, and even the weakest are made strong? And I think that for me is, is where the, the power, one area where the power really resonates and connects with me. And it's something I'm thinking about this Easter time in particular. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's, I, I want to like get out of my seat and just, <laughs> thank you wow that that was stunning amen it, it, it's it's this sense that wherever we're at he still rose you know that in our moments of just destitution and pain he still rose and what we've spoken about today is it's you know, it's 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 the evidence of our hope isn't it is like he rose um i met someone a few months ago who greeted me with namaste the hindi sort of you know, blessing, which is the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. And I've never known sort of, I've heard that phrase so many times, but it just struck me um, this, the, the, in Colossians where, where, where Paul says, um, th- this is the mystery, Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
And uh, I, I'm just celebrating that this Easter, that the resurrection of Christ is, is the evidence of the mystery. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you've really just been witness to that this morning, um, the, the hope that's in you. Because it goes, it goes, Christ lived, he died, he rose again, where is he now? He is within us. You know, Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So I wonder if you would just pray for us, Jonathan, as we close and just pray that uh, we walk away from this time with that, that sense of hope. And yeah. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Father, I thank you. I thank you uh, for sending Jesus. And um, I thank you that your love for us, your value that you place on us was so great, so great. And that you made that known to us through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And um, we, we can't understand, uh, fully comprehend um, what was going on at that time. Um, but we are so thankful. We're thankful for the spectacle of, of the cross. We thank you um, that something so shameful you've chosen to make the pinnacle of world history. Um, I thank you that it's not just a remote episode as well, that it's not something that just happened and we can ignore it, but actually that there's a direct connection to today. And I thank you that we're joined um, by the saints who throughout history have believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, some who have paid for it with their lives. And I pray that we may um, this Easter um, receive more of a revelation of your love for us through the cross, that we may, as we have spoken about, may uh, exhibit more hope because of that changed internal reality. And that hope may be more evident to people around us. Lord, we really, we really want other people to consider what you have done in the way that we have considered what you have done, that, that they may be offered an opportunity to look upon that work of history and consider what it means for them today. And I ask that we who are watching would be filled with uh, a knowledge of you uh, that leads to a hope, a sustaining hope um, for us and for our families where we are right now. And, uh, uh, and then a hope that is just, <laughs> um, that gets under the skin of other people mm. and ask uh, prompt questions to be asked. Um, Father, we, we love you. We thank you. Um, we thank you for this time and this opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, bro. Grateful for you and love you loads. It's been a pleasure, Josh. Thanks, sir. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, I think you'd agree that Jonathan is very special and uh, has an ability to articulate truths in a way which isn't clinical. It's not sterile. It's it's full of emotion and humanity. And uh, I just feel very encouraged by everything that he shared and that conversation. We want to continue it, though. That that conversation could have gone on for two or three hours longer. And so we're going to explore different ways that we can interact with that dialogue and perhaps go a little bit deeper and discover more uh, of the pages that we can read from around the resurrection. So we're going to do this. If you want to throw in a question around that conversation that maybe came up during it that wasn't asked, I'm just going to ask you to uh, email me uh, at joshualuke.smith at lifechurchbath.com and we're going to jump on a, uh, a live call at some point uh, in the next week or two and look at some of those further questions and do a bit more of an interactive dialogue. So please, if you've got questions, send them in so we can look at how best we can serve uh, this conversation and discovering more of what it is to be someone that lives alive to the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Uh, But bless you guys. Uh, Happy Easter, happy resurrection day, and we'll see you next week, next Sunday. Peace.